Welcome to the Employment Law Show. You betcha, John Scholes here and our uh, lawyer on the show today, our good pal Chris Justice, courtesy of uh, ST Lawyers, Sam Firu, Tamark, and LLP. You want to reach out to Chris anytime. Always ready to help you out. 1-855-821-5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. You also have the option of a fantastic website that was built just to uh, make you that much smarter when it comes to your workplace rights. It's free. It's anonymous. Pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. You'll have access there as well to the severance calculator, which millions across this country have used for several years to figure out exactly what that severance offer should look like. Not the pitiful sum that the uh, now ex-employee is, uh, ex-employer is offered you. Go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca anytime. Main topic, uh, one of two anyway, if we have time in between everything else, is top employer mistakes. We might get on to inducement after that point. And maybe some email. But as always, your phone calls top priority, 416-870-6400. All right, Chris, uh, lay it on me, pal. What do you got for the uh, the case of the day? What's going on? Yeah, I figured I'd bring up a, a topic uh, that caught, came up in the news recently having to do with a tech startup that had recently slashed its support staff by about 90 percent after after yeah after integrating or implementing an artificial intelligence chat bot into its operations and i know ai and artificial intelligence is just becoming more and more increasingly prevalent in the workplace and i thought it would be important to sort of talk about you know some of the ways in which an employee's rights can be affected or just an employee's job itself can be affected as a result of ai and, and all this evolving technology because this, this tech startup had said that the layoffs were tough but were necessary and that as a result of implementing this AI chatbot, they were able to save a lot of money, um, make a lot of budget cuts and, and you know make some profits there. So yeah, a lot of people have been increasingly coming to me uh, wondering, you know, how does this affect me? You know, can I be fired and replaced with AI? Um, can my boss make changes to my job? You know, to try to integrate AI into the to the, the performance of my job itself, uh, or or sometimes I've even seen bosses pressuring people to quit so that the <laughs> AI can essentially step in and, and replace them. So I wanted to Jeez. touch on these three scenarios. Yeah, and and the first, of course, being the the termination. So, you know, can I be fired and replaced with AI? The the short answer to that is yes. Uh, employers in Canada can fire a worker who's non-unionized and fill their position with AI even if the employee itself is performing the job well, um, whether it's good or stellar or whatnot, they can still be replaced. Now, the key thing is, though, that this would be a termination on a without-cause basis. Um, So as long as the termination is not grounded in some sort of discriminatory action or belief, then your employer, right or wrong, can do this. Um, but they definitely need to be providing you with your full severance package, which, uh, as many people know, can re- can be upwards of 24 months of pay. Um, a lot of people have also been talking to me about the way in which they've been let go. You know, can my boss let me go through uh, a Zoom call, a phone call? Does it have to be in person? And there may not be certain ways that you can be let go that are ideal or good or, or recommended, but it doesn't mean that these are illegal. And a lot of people just need to understand that terminations can happen in a number of ways, especially with technology. And, and as we go through time, you'll see more and more Zoom call terminations where obviously that wasn't a thing of the past. Um, but that's one way in which AI can affect people's jobs as far as termination, but they still do have options there. Um, another way is if maybe your boss doesn't tell you that you've lost your job, but is coming to you and saying that AI is going to play a big role in maybe 
um, performing some of the duties you were responsible for mm-hmm. previously. Um, so maybe you've got, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G as your main duties and responsibilities, but then AI comes in and effectively removes A, B, and C. And so that's another situation where people have come to me and asked, you know, Chris, is this possible? Do I have rights? And this goes back to the idea of constructive dismissal. You know, when, when your employer, even if it's good faith uh, or for business-related reasons, when your employer makes changes to the terms of your employment, maybe reducing the amount, num- uh, number of days you work in a week, maybe cutting half of what you're responsible for just completely off your plate, this could easily result in a constructive dismissal. And so if you're also in a situation like that, you have options. You can either perhaps try to agree to what's being proposed or come to some negotiation, but you can also generally take a stand to say, no, you know, this is what I signed up to do. So if, if you're not going to have me do what, I, what I'm doing, maybe you can let me go and we can talk about severance, but you can't just be making changes under the guise of AI coming in and, and just have me accept it willy-nilly. I wonder if that's going to, you know, the possibility of future AI is going to work into people's employment contracts, you know, hired under this thing, you know, but, uh, you know, be warned that, you know, AI is beginning to play a bigger part, blah, blah, blah. I wonder if that's going to, A, you know, get into people's employment contracts, kind of a kind of a heads up in the future, no? Is that possible? Yeah, yeah. And we might talk about this a little later on the show, but mm-hmm. I think, you know, employees have to be mindful just in general of what their contract says. And employers, I can definitely see... Um, putting in some language into contracts to maybe allow themselves at a future date to make certain changes as long as it's you know AI related or with a view of making the business efficient. Not to say that putting something like that in a contract would necessarily give the employer you know f- uh, free reign to do whatever it wants later on down the road, but I definitely wouldn't be shocked to see uh, the, you know the inclusion, like you say, of AI related sort of clauses in there and so time will tell for sure but it'll be interesting scary world for sure if you've ever considered plumbing or electrical might be a good time i don't know if ai can uh, install the shark bite fitting or install (laughs) the pot light i'm sure it's coming but man i'll tell you what a uh, what a scary world for sure Uh, yeah thanks for hanging on for a a couple minutes today paolo what's your question yeah Yeah, i I, I was i was recently put on a pip by my company uh stating sales performance um and what they put me on this plan is unreal. Like it's unattainable. Um, so I did. I did uh, talk to a lawyer, and he yep. said it is. It is unattainable. So we're gonna. He viewed it as constructive dismissal. Uh, yeah, definitely. There are certainly situations where somebody can be put on a PIP, a performance improvement plan, um, but the actual plan itself be completely unrealistic, and That's a lot right. of times. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of times employers put somebody on a performance improvement plan either with the hope that they'll improve and, and get back to how they're performing before, or unfortunately sometimes with a view of getting rid of that person, with you know, with a view of building a paper trail, building a record. And a lot of times people, even if the performance improvement plan is unrealistic, will just remain silent. You know, they'll they'll just say, Okay, I'll try to do better, or maybe they have a huge disagreement with the PIP itself. But for whatever reason, just stay silent, as I say. So in these cases, I always tell people it's important to you know make your voice heard. Um, if the criticisms being levied against you are inaccurate, that would be one example where you'd want to push back. If the, the goals or the metrics that they're saying you need to achieve are just simply unattainable, that's another example of what you need to point out. 
So you definitely want to put this all on record, your objection, whatever it may be, so that later on, if your employer does try to rely on you failing to meet a certain metric or does try to rely on a series of performance improvement plans being given in the past, but you've sort of pushed back and shown that they're not um, fair or reasonable or accurate, then of course it's going to be a lot harder for that employer to use that as a leg to stand on when they try terminating you down the road. Um, but as you've pointed out, there are also situations where just the mere implementation of a PIP can be so unreasonable and, and you know cause some, some amounts of stress that, that in and of itself could be a constructive dismissal that might allow that employee to leave the situation if, for example, maybe the PIP isn't removed or, or things aren't rectified and you know seek their full severance. So it seems like you're on the, the right path there, Frank, or at least your, your legal counsel is giving you some good advice. Okay. I just have one further follow-up question, if you don't mind. Um, yeah, for sure. It, it has created a fair amount of stress, and my doctor just mm-hmm. recently, has, as of last week, has said, <clears throat> you need to take time off. You need to take time off because it's not good for my health. I've got a weak heart and so on and so mm-hmm. forth at yeah. my age. Um, my lawyer is talking to the company <clears throat> lawyer. Do you think if I go on a medical leave or <clears throat> or this, um uh, would that affect, I'm still an employee of the company if I go on a medical leave, correct? Well, you could still be an employee if you go on a medical leave, but I think the key thing would be if it's in the best interest of your health not to be in a certain environment, at least for a certain period of time, taking a leave yep. of absence is usually recommended. Um, of course, I would defer to the doctor on that. It doesn't mean, though, that if you go on a medical leave of absence that you are somehow prevented from claiming constructive dismissal or from claiming there's been a breach of your employment that means you're owed severance. So so I wouldn't worry so much about that. Um, okay. and, and also, you know, just going on the leave itself, if it's legitimate and you are truly suffering in that way, I think it just adds more to the equation of what the employer's got to think about because, you know, when we go back to employers who put pips on people that are unreasonable and cause them stress and and sort of maybe force them or cause them in a way to have to leave that workplace, at least for a period of time, if anything, that could strengthen the constructive dismissal claim and just further validate, you know, how unreasonable the, the, the pip itself was. So I think I think health and, and safety in your own right is first and foremost. But again, I wouldn't worry that going on a leave somehow then prevents you from pursuing a claim later. Very good. Okay, thanks very much. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Frank. Appreciate that. Again, as always, you have the option of uh, reaching out further to Chris and his team. If you need uh, some more assistance, that would be one 821 5900 You also have uh, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Let's take our first break. We'll get into that and back with our top employer mistakes. That'll be the main topic number one for the uh, for the hour. We continue with more of the Employment Law Show. Stand by. You betcha. We're back. And thank you so much for sticking around. John Scholes here and Chris Justice from uh, San Firu to Mark and LLP, the most positive reviewed law firm in the country. Reach out to Chris and company anytime you would like to discuss your matter privately. If it's of an employment nature, you could do so. one 821 5900 is the number. Email help at employmentlawyer.ca and you have the option of learning more and reaching out through pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Okay, top employer mistakes. Number one's a doozy. Chris, love this one. Failing to bri- provide you with bare minimum severance entitlements. That's a good move. 
Yeah, you'd think that this no longer happens nowadays <laughs> with people being more informed, both employers and employees. But just the other day, I, I had a scenario where uh, an employee had been working for a company for just over three years, and they were terminated without cause. Didn't seem like anything was, you know, uh, particularly an issue. Fairly straightforward termination. Like I say, I've been there for over three years. Employment standards legislation would say this person gets at least three weeks, and they were offered two weeks with with two weeks of benefit continuation. And you know, so so whether it's inadvertent or not, um, still seeing these issues. But not just that. Obviously, there are also cases where employers will meet the bare minimums. Um, good for them there. But uh, you know, still be lowballing somebody quite severely when it comes to what their potential maximums are. Um, and as I say, gone are the days where I think a lot of employers can now just simply get away with providing, you know, less than the bare minimums or very low amounts of severance um, and uh, have the employee not know. You know, we've got things like, you know, the, the severance pay calculator, like pocket employment lawyer that are yep. arming people with this information. And so, you know, both, like I say, employees and employers need to know this and, and again, understand that you could be owed upwards of two years of severance, not to mention additional amounts that might be owed for bad faith and, and that kind of thing. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's still it's still a huge issue. And uh, whether, as I say, it's a, an employer's ignorance or not, um, it, it can be a big problem for, for them, but um, also potentially be of help to, to employees that are looking to get more if, if employers are going to kind of shoot themselves in the foot in this way. Again, we're talking top employer mistakes, so employers listen to this. And if you're an employee, heads up as well if any of this comes across in your uh, your work life for sure. Number two, poorly drafted contracts, termination clauses. This is something that can be easily fixed from the outset to not make these mistakes, right? Yeah, and actually, even if you are an employer and you have a contract that is very well worded and has all the right language in there, whether it's to do with termination or otherwise, which is very, very rare in my experience, but even if you are an employer who has that all in place, if you then terminate someone's employment and on their way out give them less than the bare minimums, then it it sort of invalidates all the, the goodness that went into that contract. You know, your, your contract will say something like, in, in no event will we ever pay you less than the bare minimums that we owe you. And then, as I say, if it's inadvertent or not, you let the person go, you pay them less, you make that mistake, you're, you're essentially breaking not only just your own contract, but the employment standards legislation. So what may otherwise have been a good contract and, and been drafted well um, would 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 be defeated effectively by your actions following the termination of someone. So just another reason why employers need to be really careful and make sure that all the T's are crossed, I's are dotted when it comes to termination and making sure at the very least those bare minimums are in place because, yeah, it could just put all that good contractual drafting to waste and, and completely ruin it. But there are also just contracts, as, as we know, that are poorly drafted. You know, what, you know there, there may actually be a termination clause. You know, someone may look at it and think, oh, it's saying here that if I ever get let go, all they're going to give me is the bare minimums and that's it. And then they get let go. They come to me and they think, oh, Chris, there's this section in my contract that talks mm-hmm. about termination and, you know, I'm dead to rights, right? And as I say, vast majority of cases, contracts aren't being drafted properly. Vast majority of cases, even if there is a termination clause in there that attempts to limit your rights, vast majority, big chance that it's not going to effectively do that and that it, in the eyes of a law, would almost be treated as having not existed whatsoever. So if you're an employee and you've got a contract, maybe a very wordy contract, maybe you're thinking it's good, 
maybe you have some questions, you definitely want to get some legal advice. And, and of course, if you're an employer, you want to be getting advice on how to properly draft these things because the law does evolve and what may be a good contract in one year could be a completely terrible contract the following year. And I think part of the problem still exists, Chris, that uh, maybe not you know large companies with you know sophisticated HR, et cetera, but you know the small mom and pop shops, they might just mm-hmm. Google an employment contract, say, yeah, this one looks pretty clean cut. Mm-hmm. I'll just print this sucker off and use that. That's not a good way to go. Yeah, I mean, it might save you some time and money in the early goings, but then you're going to lose out as an employer on potentially tens of thousands, if not more dollars, because you chose to just take a template from Google and pop it in thinking nothing of it. Um, so that that is another issue. And, and actually, one more issue I wanted to point out is mm-hmm. where you've got a contract, maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, but your employer just doesn't have you sign it. Um, before you start your job or upon starting your job, you know, maybe they're lazy or they don't get around to it and they say, oh, hey, Jim, you know, I know you've been here for a month now. We kind of forgot to to sign off on that contract. Can you just put your signature on it just so we can cross that formality off the list? And if if you're an employee who's essentially signed a contract um, days or weeks into performing the job itself, um, that contract may hold absolutely no water to it because at the time you signed, which is important, you weren't really being given anything of a benefit because you had already been in that role for a number of weeks or months. You'd already been paid what you'd agreed to. And so then the question becomes, what benefit are you now as an employee getting by signing this contract? And so there's got to be consideration that goes both ways. You know, I, I agree to receive this amount of money or, or perform these services and, and I'll sign this contract. But as I say, sometimes employers can get, um, uh, whether it's laziness or they just don't get around to it, and then they find it very impossible or very hard, if not impossible, to kind of go back and rely on that contract later because of the timing of when it was signed. That's an interesting heads up for uh, for employers out there listening to the show that even before you know get employer A walks through the door, sits down, starts playing with a stapler, you got to have them have to sign that contract before they walk through the door with their pass key, right? Like get it done, or like you said, it could just you might as well fold it up and then throw it out if it comes down to a you know a he shed, see shed, or a push situation yeah. with you inside of legal terms, it might not hold water, yeah. Or, or, yeah, just in general, employers just need to know that if they want a contract or an agreement to be enforceable, assuming the language in there is all correct, they just need to provide consideration to that employee. So if they've already got the employee in the job and then they forgot uh, to have the employee sign off on the contract, if, if they can offer that employee some additional consideration, whether it's a signing bonus or some added piece of consideration uh, in exchange for them signing the contract, even though it may have happened you know, well into that person's job, then that might be one way for employers okay. to uh, have that contract be valid. But that's just another thing that employees themselves also need to be on the lookout for. And as I, as I always say, before signing anything, you want to get legal advice so you know exactly what you're getting into. and. If, for example, a termination happens, you'll know exactly what what you should be expecting to receive as far as severance. We are talking about top employer mistakes. Number four, lacking a progressive disciplinary policy. What does that mean in in simple terms, Bill? Yeah, so we were talking to Frank uh, at the outset there in terms Mm -hmm. of uh, him being placed on a performance improvement plan. And this performance improvement plan is is one example of an employer having a progressive disciplinary policy in place. So when it comes to discipline, uh, we could be talking about work-related issues, like maybe you're just not a good good enough performer or your, or your performance is, is slacking or lacking in some way, and that's where maybe a performance improvement plan would come into place where 
Uh, again, assuming it's legitimate, the employer is going to offer up some constructive criticism, provide some, some help in terms of how to get over those obstacles, and then the employee has their own part to do, and hopefully they can kind of work towards it. But that would be in the context of performance issues. There are also uh, disciplinary measures taken when, say, someone does something outside of the performance of the duties themselves. Maybe there's an issue of harassment in the workplace. Maybe someone's being abusive or toxic in some way in the workplace that doesn't relate to their job. And again, the employer should be having some kind of a progressive disciplinary policy in place where, uh, for example, maybe they start with a verbal warning or a written warning, depending on the circumstances, and then escalate from there. Maybe they do a second written warning or a final warning. Maybe they do a suspension. But far too often, I find employers lack this policy being in place. It's kind of loosey-goosey. Maybe there was a verbal warning, but, but there's no evidence or written record of it. And then they just go from you know, zero to 100, and the next day they're, they're terminating someone for cause because they did something wrong or, or whatnot, but had no buildup in place, had no warnings, nothing like that. So even if the employee themselves did do something wrong or was in the wrong in some way, by lacking that progressive disciplinary structure, you know, in a lot of cases, giving that employee a chance to um, either express remorse or rectify their behavior or, or perform better moving forward, um, yeah, employers are just jumping the gun, and, and then, again, it becomes very difficult for them to get away with letting somebody go and not paying them anything on their way out when there, there was no warnings in place, uh, there was no record in place in terms of documenting that kind of stuff and showing that, hey, we, the employer, gave you the opportunity, we gave you another chance, we tried helping you, tried cooperating by telling you to do this, this, or this, and you chose not to. You know, employers are just simply forgetting all of that, we're letting you go, we think what you did was serious enough, and then hoping and praying that the employee doesn't come to some lawyer later on, and then that results in some kind of claim being uh, commenced. Again, a lot of the stuff we talk about on the show here uh, every day can be found at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Save you some time to uh, go over to that website for a few minutes. You can reach out to Chris there as well. And there's always the uh, the phone number beyond that, one 821 5900 All right, top employer mistake number five, alleging they have cause to terminate your employment when they do not. Incredibly common. Yeah, yeah, and, and just sort of uh, in line with what I was uh, speaking about just now, uh, you know, termination for cause, that's going to be a situation reserved for the most the most egregious and serious forms of workplace misconduct. So uh, if you've got somebody who's continually insubordinate, or not to say that there needs to be multiple instances of, of misconduct, there could be one instance that's bad enough um, that, that could rise to the level of a, of a cause termination, but usually... There needs to be, um, you know, a number of incidents. Again, uh, some warning or some record of, of there being a warning having been given um, before the employer can kind of jump the gun. Uh, you know, if they terminate somebody for cause, that is known as the capital punishment in the employment law world. It means generally that you're not going to get any severance. You're going to have a very difficult time, if not, if it's going to be impossible to get EI benefits from that. Um, so, so the consequences are very harsh, and especially. If you're an employee with a lot of years in with a company, you know, that's when it's even more unfortunate where the, the record from the employee's perspective is unblemished. And then there may have been a recent incident that happened that resulted in a cause termination. But when you look at the overall context of everything, which is always important, 
um, you know, there's going to be sympathy shown uh, to certain people more than others. Uh, As I say, if you're if you're sort of long in with that company many, many years uh, versus maybe, you know, you've been with the company for for a couple months and you're on a probationary period or, or just past a probationary period, that might be a bit different. But yeah, in my experience, for the most part, employers do not have cause. Um, you are owed severance, and so if you're in this position, even if there are some things or were some things that you did incorrectly or wrong, um, as I say, the advice is likely going to be you should pursue that and, and you should go after your severance at the very minimum. A few more of these to go under the topic of top employer mistakes, and we'll move on to inducement and your phone calls as well. We'll continue with more of the Employment Law Show. Hang on. Hey, Chris Justice is your lawyer on the show today. Sam Firu to Mark and LLP. Always reach out to Chris to have that discussion if there's anything you're wondering about uh, your employment situation, whether you're an employer or an employee, and you think uh, things might be going sideways, reach out. Don't sit there and uh, don't have the knowledge. Get out and educate yourself, too. Uh, call Chris, one 855 821-5900. Get a hold of one of his team and you can email help at employmentlawyer.ca and the free website, which is like having a lawyer in your pocket at all time on your smartphone, tablet, otherwise pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Right there, you will have uh, answers to many of your questions, contact information and access to the severance calculator. Formerly, the severance pay calculator stood on its own online, but you can get it now at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. It does exactly what it's meant to do. In about 30 seconds, we'll calculate what your actual severance should be. Not the uh, pittance that you've been offered by your former employer. So uh, pretty much 99% of the time, you're going to get shortchanged. You don't want that to happen. So you can reach out to Chris and go to that website, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca as well. Top employer mistakes. We're on down to uh, what? Number number six, I think, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Or number yeah. five. Number six, yeah. Putting employers on a temporary, oh, the old temporary layoff, eh? thinking it's okay to do so. How much have you seen of this over the last, oh, I don't know, two and a half, three years, especially, right, with COVID? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, employers do believe they have the authority in general to place an employee on a temporary layoff, either on a whim, maybe due to unavoidable events, economic developments, and yes, a pandemic. Um, And and that was definitely a hot topic back in 2020, 2021, 2022. You know, a lot of employers um, were of the mind that they could lay somebody off for, you know, a long, long time, months, years in some cases, because there were some regulations uh, passed and, and put forward that arguably uh, gave them the ability to do so as long as it was pandemic related. But uh, the fact of the matter is that just is not the case. They, they still don't have a general right. They didn't then and they don't now. And so uh, employees need to know that as far as any automatic right to cut your work, cut your pay, even when the times are tough at the company, uh, is just not a thing. Um, if, if something like that is happening, uh, there's a very, very good chance that you as an employee have options. You know, of course, um, again, when it comes to changes like this, you could accept the change. You could try to negotiate some sort of middle ground with your employer. But if they're insisting that you be placed on a layoff and you are not agreeable to it, mm-hmm. then uh, you do have options. That is generally uh amounting to a termination at law. Um, although one sort of caveat I would say is is you want to look at a contract that you have as well. Uh, sometimes there, there can be a contract that exists which you've signed uh, and which also very clearly spells out the employer's ability to place you on a layoff. So not to say it isn't possible if it's in there uh, contractually and, and again worded in a very precise way. 
but for the most part, I find that contracts don't have this language in there. And as I say, unless you've otherwise consented to it, agreed to it, stated to your employer that you're fine with it, um, your employer can't get away with just placing you on a layoff. And, and as I say, you'll have rights as far as severance and, and possibly even other compensations concerned. I guess the one thing also that, that we mentioned that you have to look out for is if you've been on a layoff previously with this employer, but this time you're like, nah, this time I don't want to do it. That could be a problem. Yeah, it, it uh, again, contextually speaking, uh, if there is a history of layoffs, um, then your employer, even if it's not in writing, mm-hmm. may just argue that there's an implied term, that, that it's, it's implied in your employment with us that you will be placed on a layoff, as you have in the past. And so that can be an added consideration as far as, you know, does the employer have the right to do this? Um, and, and that's just another reason why employees, whether it's a layoff that came as a, as a result of a pandemic or in general, employees just need to be careful before they accept one layoff or another layoff thinking, you know what, I'm going to be a team player. Uh, I'll, I'll agree to this layoff this one time. Hopefully I'll come back very soon. As I say, let's say you do come back and it happens once or twice over again. Then for that third or fourth time that you're wanting to make a stand as an employee and say, all right, this is it. Enough's enough. I don't want to be laid off anymore. Uh, you know, as you pointed out, uh, the, the historical amount of times that you've been placed on a layoff may create a term uh, of your employment. And yes, it could make it a bit more difficult to object to another layoff down the road and um, you know, have, a, have a good chance of getting your full severance rights. Let's get to our uh, seventh point in this topic before we move on to inducement. And we're talking about top employment mistakes. Number seven is this, uh, not properly distinguishing between independent contractor and employee. This this mistake gets made on both sides, yeah? Yeah, and it's, it's always a big one because in the law, if somebody is an independent contractor, generally they're not going to be looking at any of the same entitlements or rights that an employee would have. Uh, and that could be in terms of termination entitlements. That could be just other entitlements that employees have for things like vacation pay or holiday pay and, and other statutory rights that they're guaranteed. Um, so it's almost, a, in a lot of cases, uh, a win big or lose big proposition. If I'm a contractor, uh, you know, that my rights are going to be a lot less. If I'm an employee and I've been let go, let's say, you know, and I've been there for a while, I could be looking at months, if not years of severance. And as you pointed out, this is um, an issue when it comes to both employees and employers in terms of determining, am I an independent contractor or not? You know, a lot of times people get caught up on, you know, maybe something their boss told them as far as, you know, you are an independent contractor. Maybe they've got caught up on a contract they've signed, which says specifically, I am an independent contractor. Maybe there's some things about the relationship that are just not really employee-ish or or esque um, in terms of uh, maybe you've got your own business that you invoice out of. Maybe you take care of the taxes yourself and remit those to the government rather than your employer doing so. There are things that can point towards someone thinking, I'm an independent contractor, including all of these things that I've mentioned. But it's not you or the employer who decides who's an independent contractor. It's the law that makes that decision. And just having somebody with their own business or paying their own taxes or having a contract that even spells out, I am an independent contractor, that in and of itself or those things in and of themselves do not mean that you're an independent contractor. 
And actually, the majority of cases I find when I look into these situations, I find that most of the, I guess, factors or, or, or most of the relationship between the employee and the employer is like an employee-employer relationship. It's one where the employer has a lot of control over that person. The employee is, is, is relying economically on this one employer for a source of income. They're dependent on it. They work exclusively for this employer. So just as though there are some factors that may suggest I'm an independent contractor, there's most often many more factors that suggest this is a more typical employee-employer relationship and the employer is just trying to maybe get off on a technicality or call something something that, that it isn't. And as I say, that can be a huge mistake because um, if, if they're right, they may not owe that person any money, but if they're wrong, they may be looking at overtime that's owed over several years, unpaid vacation pay, holiday pay, severance. Um, so yeah, it's just very important either side, regardless of which side you're on, you want to get advice before you just automatically assume this is who I am or before you t start taking actions, um, presuming what you think to be true when... Uh, yeah, you could be getting into a big, big problem there and, um, yeah, just find yourself on the end of a, a potential lawsuit if you're the employer. And it doesn't matter if, uh, you know, the employer's uh, a buddy of yours and you both agree through a handshake, yeah, I'll be an independent contractor. Yeah, it sounds good, man. Let's go that way. That doesn't matter, does it? No, no. It, it'll, it'll just matter. Usually what the courts will do is they'll examine the relationship itself. They'll, as I say, kind of focus on the ways in which control is being exhibited over the worker. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if you are truly an independent contractor, maybe a, um, a clear example of that could be a scenario where you've got your own business, you know, you're paying your own taxes, you're working for five or six or seven different companies, you have no allegiance to any one of them particularly, and you can basically do whatever you want. You can control how many hours you work, you control, uh, you know, who you pay, if you have subcontractors, you, you, you provide yourself with all your own tools. Um, you know, that, that could be sort of getting into the territory more of a truly independent contractor. But even in cases where you may be working for a couple companies and invoicing out of your own business, that still isn't probably going to be enough. I mean, there's a lot of employees that have three jobs or people that have three jobs. Just because I have three part-time jobs doesn't mean that in each of those jobs I'm not an employee. So, yeah, there's just a lot that goes into it. And I think that's all the more reason why legal advice needs to be sought, especially for situations dealing with this. And, and of course, when it comes to drafting contracts as well, as always, you know, if an employer, you know, wants to give themselves the best chance of saying, you know, this is a truly independent contractor relationship, a, a lot of that could be helped out by drafting a contract um, and uh, obviously ensuring that moving forward, you don't sort of treat that person more like an employee than, than otherwise. Let's take a short break. We'll get on to our next topic. This is the Employment Law Show. Hang on. And we are back. John Scholes here and with me, Chris Justice, this week, uh, courtesy San Firu to Market LLP. You want to reach out to Chris anytime and have that uh, phone call of your own, you can do so. 1-855-821-5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And as I mentioned, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca is the website you want to go to. Can answer most of your questions. In fact, that last segment we were talking about uh, um, um, independent contracts. There is a complete section, a couple points down on pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. It does exactly that. It'll distinguish and answer your questions whether you truly are one or not. So it's a, a super, super handy website. But inducement, love this topic. It sounds like something medical, but it's not. Uh, <laughs> what is inducement in legal terms, pal? What does it mean? Yeah, so inducement occurs when employers take certain steps to 
essentially entice or induce uh, a worker or an individual to leave uh, their current job to take up employment with that particular employer. Um, and so it can be definitely an exciting time if you know an employer reaches out, expresses interest in you, hey, we really want you. You might be thinking, you know, I want to maybe consider joining that employer. Um, but there are uh, several rights that workers need to be aware of uh, if they've been induced and also just understand exactly what kind of examples are out there when it comes to inducement that they should be looking out for. Okay, let's uh, let's get into this one a little further. Uh, examples of inducement or behavior relating to, what do you think? Yeah, so so from a from a general perspective, uh, recruiters who promise things like higher pay, career growth, better work-life balance, these can, these can be some aspects of inducement. Um, actually, I had a case not too long ago where the employer had spent roughly a year uh, recruiting this particular individual before it had secured her services. And the recruitment efforts started, as they oftentimes do, with sort of a cold call being made to that to that individual, to that employee, maybe, or, or maybe it's a, a message they send on LinkedIn sort of as an introduction. And then from there, a meeting gets set up between, you know, that employee or that worker in the company, and then the company is sort of selling itself as a wonderful place to be in, lots of plans to grow. The, the client of mine at the time was skeptical at first. Uh, she told the employer that, that she was actually quite content with her current job and sort of rebuffed or, or rejected the, the company's initial attempts to, to recruit her. But over time, the, the company continued to pursue her, uh, sold its business as being secure, being committed to growth, telling this, this woman that the sky was the limit, um, promised her essentially secure, stable employment as long as her performance remained acceptable, and actually literally wined and dined this worker until she accepted the offer of employment. And then unfortunately, six months into starting that new job, this woman was let go. Uh, the, the company had cited financial reasons, but it was um, curious because they had spent actually more time attempting to recruit her or induce her to leave her job than they did actually employing her. And so I, I took on this case, and, and fortunately, uh, good news for her was that we were able to get her uh, a severance package, not one that reflects you know, the, the six months she was there, but takes into account all the years she had with that prior employer. But yeah, the, these are just some examples of things that employers will do or say to, to entice somebody. And I think that especially where there's reluctance on the part of the individual to leave, and then that gets sort of um, dissolved over time with all these promises and gestures and whining and dining, that's where you really get into a, a particularly strong inducement case, and uh, you know that can be bad for the employer thinking that they might otherwise get away with uh, letting that person go on a, on a cheaper basis. Uh, I'm induced to leave one job and terminated by the new employer shortly after beginning. It's a rough go, no matter how yeah. you slice it. How, how do you handle that? Yeah, well, you should definitely get in touch with a lawyer. You should get some legal advice, um, regardless whether you've been induced and then let go later on, or you're just with a company and you've been let go and they're being asked, uh, they're asking to sign a, a, a release to, to get some severance. Um, but especially in the case of inducement, because as I say, you could be at a company for six months uh, after having been poached, uh, let go, 
um, but ha- otherwise had a stable career at a job for 15 years before that. Mm-hmm. And then you think, well, am I going to be treated as a, as a six-month employee who just got let go in the early goings of this new company that I joined? Or is there going to be some consideration for the fact that I had all these years with that previous employer and I left that job that I was content with that was stable, secure to join this company with the with these assurances, with these representations made, only now to find myself without a job. And in a lot of cases, actually, the, the, the service or the seniority with the previous company is going to be factored in when it comes to calculating your severance entitlements with, <clears throat> excuse me, with the new company that, that hired you on. So if you've got, let's say, 15 years with the previous company, but only six months with the new company, and you let go, and there's that issue of inducement that's present, then you could very easily be seen as an employee with 15, 16 years, and now all of a sudden that that new employer that took you on, that spent all that time recruiting you, is going to have to consider paying you know upwards of two years of severance. Whereas maybe had it not been for the case of inducement, they could have got away with maybe just a few months. And with that, we are running out of time. In fact, we've run out of time. Appreciate you tuning in on the show today. You can always reach out to Chris Justice now and going forward, this number, one 821 Again, one 821 That number is also at the top corner of pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. That's a helpful website, which is free and anonymous for you to use. Contains the severance calculator as well. And then finally, the email, if you want to go old school, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll catch you next time right here on the Employment Law Show. Enjoy your weekend.